Hello, this is Dutch Football Podcast number 38 from Football Aranya, and I, Michael Statham, am joined by Michael Bell and James Rowe this week to discuss PSV and Ajax in the Champions League, Netherlands against Germany in the Nations League, and there's some Eredivisie chat thrown in there too. We're available on YouTube, SoundCloud and iTunes. Subscribe to our platforms if you're new and give us a big thumbs up if you enjoy listening today. Okay, uh, James Michael, uh, we're going to start by talking about PSV against Inter Milan. It's in the Champions League this week. Um, and it's almost the first chance that we really get to see PSV um, against an opponent in the Champions League that they have a realistic chance of beating uh, away against Barcelona. They were close, but it was a 4-0 defeat. Um, James, I wanted to ask you first but what you think Inter Milan will bring to, to the tie. We were saying that PSV got a good chance at home against them. But Inter Milan are an easy side to beat, are they? No, they're not. There's been uh, heavily invested money uh, put into Inter Milan in the recent years with the ownership. They've brought really well and they have uh, a good man- manager in Luciano Spalletti. But I think Inter Milan, as you saw with the 2-1 win against uh, Spurs in the previous match, I think their strengths lie at home in Milan. And I think away from home... In Europe, I'm, I'm not so convinced, and I think with uh, with PSV being on the road that they're on, and and, and with Van Bommel having a, a point to prove, especially abroad, um, I quite fancy PSV to win this match. Uh, I don't think it will be a, a comprehensive win. I think it will be possibly two one to um, to PSV. But I mean, Inter have some good players. Handanovic is a, is a good goalkeeper, and uh, Icardi and Stefan de Vrij we know as well. But I just think home advantage will see um, will see us will see PSV over the line in this tie. How do you think um, PSV will look to target Inter? How do you, who who do you think Inter's weaknesses could be on the pitch? I would say I think I think, I think they're back line. I think I don't think they're very mobile, and uh, I think with the pace of Bergwijn in particular, I think they could uh, they could cause uh, Inter some problems. And I think as I said before a few a few minutes ago, I think that Inter at home in the Giuseppe Miazza is a completely different animal to Inter away from home. So I think with uh, PSV, PSV's organisation in particular, their pace. I think um, I think that will see PSV over the line. Okay, uh, Michael, I was going to ask you about PSV's chances in this game, and I think all three of us are quite optimistic that they could get a result here. Uh, do you think we'll see a PSV similar to that we saw under Philip Koku when they were last in the Champions League with Koku? Um, no, I think Van Bommel has pretty much stated that he is sticking with a system that he's using now, and he doesn't see any point in changing it. Just for one game, when he's been working on it all season, his players know it the best. He's got to stick with a 4-3-3. And he'll know that if he has any chances of getting out of this group, that this is a game that they need to win. And I don't think they'll be scared of Inter Milan. I think they'll go on the attack um, from the start. OK, but, you know, you're looking at Inter Milan's um, more dangerous players and the likes of Perisic, other likes of Hendricks, a really inexperienced Rosario and... Um, and a more attacking Pereira, are they, are they going to deal with this threat coming from the middle? I mean, it's hard to, to say because I've seen Dutch clubs crumble in the past, but I think you know, what PSV have done this season so far is they've gotten a front foot in games. Um, you've seen it won seven out of seven in the league. And against Barcelona, they, they handed them for much of the first half and it took something sublime from, from Messi, a free kick, which 
Zuka doing on about to, to break dead dog in the second half. They just they ran out of steam a bit. But I think um, in a packed out Phillips Stadion, you know, Champions League is back and Eindhoven, and I think uh, you're going to see a PSV team up for it. And it really depends on Interman, who, you know, they've struggled at times this season. You know, they lost at home to, to Parma. I know they've won four on the bounce, but they're, you know, they've, they've brought in a lot of new players. They might not have gelled yet, whereas PSV are more of a unit, and I think that could go work in their, work in their favour. Okay, fair enough. Um, James, do you think it'll be two on PSV? I do. I think with home advantage, and as uh, as Mike rightly says, I think um, I think that they're so ch- they're chomping at the bit. I think, uh, as you know, in the um, in the summer podcast we did, I was a little bit um, apprehensive of Van Bommel taking the role, but I have to eat humble pie already in terms of the way that he sets his stall out, and in particular how he addresses the media and you wouldn't think that he's only been managing for a short amount of time and and when you listen to him address the Dutch media as well you can tell that he's played at the highest level even in the small details in in, in describing anticipation going into games what exactly they have to be looking at like for example when they played Barty Borisov in the, in the qualifying rounds he was um, the Dutch media were pretty much saying all you got to do is turn up to which Van Bommel said, "No, you couldn't be. You couldn't be. No wrong. Barty Borisov have got more Champions League experience than what we've gained in recent years, and and that may well prove to be uh, telling. So he's very, very smart, and I think it's given PSV a, a new lease of life. And um, I think same goes for Ajax as well as PSV. I don't think, even though we're, we're pleased to have two Dutch sides uh, in the Champions League, it's it's pleasing as well that neither of them." are going to be completely written off in terms of making progress, whether that be going into the last 16 or even continuing in the Europa League. All, all scenarios are possible, in my opinion. Great, yeah. I, I think that's a good time for us to now talk about um, the second Champions League fixture involving a Dutch club this week, Bayern Munich against Ajax. Um, is this going to be similar to what we saw with Barcelona and PSV? And are Bayern going to simply overrun the Dutch side? Or... Are Bayern's uh, weaknesses being shown more this season? Why, why are they not succeeding so much in the league? I think it can be partly down to their manager. This time last season, he was manager of Frankfurt and although they won the German Cup, I do believe that certain characters and certain personalities fit certain clubs. And, and Bayern Munich is massive. They failed to win their last two domestic uh, matches. And... Um, I think that uh, Ajax have a chance. Bayern, uh, Bayern are not what they were. Uh, this is not the the Bayern under your bankers. And um, I think that um, I think they have a chance to. Uh, I actually think this game is going to be a draw. Uh, I think the the result for Bayern Munich away from home in Berlin away to Hertha last Friday, which was a shock. They lost two 0 I think they may well have taken Hertha Berlin a little bit too lightly. And I just think with the belief that Ajax will have, and especially getting such a good result in the first match against uh, AK Athens, I think this game is going to end up a draw. I think it's going to be 1-1. I think you have to take those results um, a little bit more carefully, though. Uh, Bayern drew with Augsburg at home with a weakened side. Many of their best players were on the substitutes bench. And the 2 defeat away at Hertha looked a little bit more like bad luck. Hertha scored with their only two goals, two shots on target. Um, but still, yeah, no, this is not the, the dominant Bayern that we're used to seeing. Um, and even though they're still atop the Bundesliga, um, looking looking good at the moment, it's not the Bayern we'd seen recently where they'd run away leaders straight away. 
Um, Michael, what do you think Ajax will bring to this match? Do you think that they'll go for a more defensive tack? Even though Eriksen Hag doesn't tend to do that and he says that Ajax should stick to their guns, is this one where Ajax do need to take a little step back and be a little bit more defensive? Well, you look at the side, they need to be more defensively solid, but you know, you're wondering how Ten Hag does that. You could go a, a back five with, hopefully, Frankie de Jong will be fit for the tie. Then he can sort, in, sort into the defence. But um, I think a big plus for Ten Hag is having the licked back. Um, if they had gone into this game and Ten Hag had decided to put you know, Frankie de Jong alongside Daily Wind in the centre of defence, I think that would have been an absolute disaster. I don't share James's optimism so much about this game, just merely because of Daily Blind in the centre of the defence. I think, you know, Bayern Munich will have been criticised in the German media after you know not winning two games in a row. I think in this game they're going to want to show something. And I think Robert Lewandowski against Daily Blind is a mismatch, and I think he get found out. And then, you know, Mizrawi on the right. Um, I think he could also be a target for Bayern with the wingers. I just can't see how Ajax haven't been great going forward this year. I know Klaasian Hunter he struggled at the weekend and he was replaced by Dolberg who came in and got the crucial goal. But I can't see how Ajax can really score enough goals to maybe get a draw because I think Bayern are definitely going to score at least two, I think, in my opinion. Um, and then you're just hoping that Ajax can somehow find some space in behind and maybe target Jerome Boateng, who's a weak point for, for club and country at the moment. But I think uh, overall, I think Bayern just a bit too strong for Ajax and uh, their strikers are going to be too good for the Ajax defence. I mean, they struggled with Luke de Jong and they're really going to struggle with Robert Lewandowski. I wonder if Niko Kovac knows his best Bayern team. Because when you look at the lineup of who they've, who they've included in their starting lineup so far, it's it's been a huge difference, and Bayern Munich always used to be known, especially when they were really successful, is there were very few changes, and they always had an awful lot of whip, and they would always service Lewandowski, and I wonder with the changing personnel on such a regular basis, including subs, I wonder if uh, Nikola Kovac knows his best Bayern Munich team. I don't think he does, and um, I think that I think with Hertha Berlin winning last Friday. Yes, there were some very good Bayern players on that pitch, but Hertha-Berlin uh, still managed to win. And I, I, I think as long as Ajax show no fear, um, I think if they show confidence and they're well organised, they could well get a draw. But we shall see. Uh, we shall see what will happen. Yeah, it's a good point you say about um, the fact that the Ajax will have a chance and that the midfield on their day is one of the strongest in Europe. You, you've got the likes of Ziyech, Tadic. De Jong, who are just very dynamic and can play through most teams. But as Michael says, um, there are weaknesses in the defence and they were heavily exposed um, against PSV. And when Ajax lose their heads and aren't as focused on the pitch, they just crumble, they fall apart, the attitude isn't there, they get frustrated. Um, and I wonder if the same thing might happen here. Perhaps not, it's a Champions League, um, they'll all be switched on, they're all, they're all there for that, for that exact reason, to play with Ajax in the Champions League. But... Let's see how they get on and let's see how long they can hold out for. And they're always capable of scoring a goal. All right, so um, that's Champions League covered. Now, PSV and Ajax both have chances to do well in that competition. Let's move on and talk about the Dutch national team. Um, the fixtures are coming up thick and fast again. 
And uh, we're, we've got a, na a Nations League fixture on the 13th of October on the Saturday against Germany. Um, James, would you like to talk just a little bit about um, the, the, Dutch, the Dutch squad, the Dutch selection? And what, what do you make of the changes in, in the selection this time around? I think there are changes where Kuhn is looking, is casting the net wide. I advocated on um, on previous pods that we've spoken about when speaking about the national team that he needs to cast a net wide. And in his preliminary squad, you know, to select Bailo, Rosario, Kuhnenfeld, you know, I think he's just, I think he's wanting to see them a little bit closer up. I think he's wanting to, to handpick bit by bit. And um, I, I think it shows that he's enjoying the role and he knows what's asked of him. Um, I think I think as well the players that have been selected have, have all been doing well uh, so far this season, which is a good sign. And um, yeah, I, I think it's about uh, selecting the right team. And uh, if they do select the right team, I can see them beating Germany in Amsterdam. Um, the bit, I was at the previous match against Peru and although they went 1-0 down and it was a little bit bitty at times, um, they came back to win, and uh, and that showed uh, showed a lot of resilience. And I think you're starting to see shoots of uh, of resilience come through now, where Kuman is selecting a squad based on form. He's trying to to mould a team that will compete. And it's still going to take a long time, as we know only too well. But I think it's 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 it sends a good signal out, in particular to Rosario and Bailo, that if you play well in the domestic league, then then you'll be you'll be studied and you'll be looked at. It won't. It's not necessarily that you have to move abroad in order to uh, to play yourself into the Dutch national team setup. Yeah, agreed. There's some interesting selections again, um, and it just shows that Kuma wants to rotate his options. And, and pick different people and see what they're about. And you can see that with Bailo Rosario. They're not ready for the first team yet, but they're there for the experience and they're there to see if they're, they're ready in the future. Um, Michael, we had a question on Twitter about, uh, about Germany and uh, Dolwyn here asks, how do you beat Germany? How, how can you beat such a world force? Now, they were embarrassingly knocked out in the World Cup, but this is still a, a really strong Germany side. We already spoke about... Um, a couple of the players that you know they're playing playing for Bayern Munich so how 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 can the Netherlands possibly beat this German side? Like I've been scared of them um, I think if you saw the World Cup what teams did to them uh, Korea hit them on the counter and Sweden basically got in their faces um, I think that's what you need to do you can't sit back and just hope and defend and hope that you're going to get something out of it you need to take some of the front foot um, against them. I think Germany have always had this sort of aura that teams will just be too scared of them. Again, at the World Cup, you saw, you know, Mexico went at them, um, South Korea went at them, Sweden, I know they got beat in the end, but they also had a go at them. And that's what you need to do now. You need to actually realise that the Germany national team right now is probably at its lowest point in a few years. And you need to get into their faces, Attack from the start, don't just sit back and defend. Um, we've got the players to do it. You know, you've got Memphis up front, who's in good form. You can have a midfield around Frankie de Jong. Um, you know, dominate possession, have a goal. If you get maybe 1-0 down if something goes wrong, don't be scared. Um, don't just go back into your shell. Just keep attacking them and then hopefully, you know, everyone's haven't beaten Germany since 2002 and it's, it's about time that ended. And... You know, you saw against France that 
the drew nil nil. Um, Holland had chances against France. We lost against them just two one, but we created enough chances to to maybe get sun out again. I know Memphis hit the the side net, and when it could have been two one, um, Cummins creating you know a good atmosphere in the squad at the moment. These young players coming through, you know, everyone's getting back to somewhere where we can start competing again. And I think uh, this Germany game will show and hopefully show that we're back amongst the, the better nations in the in the world if we can get a win here. Yeah, too right. I think it's probably the best chance of beating Germany since 2002 as well. Um, and I, I'm really, really pleased to see Frank Dion make his debut. I thought he was outstanding against France. And if he starts again here, it he just his simply his dynamism and his pace to set, to switch the play it just speeds up the whole team and it it makes Memphis Depay the likes of those kind of guys who are quite pacey up front they can really have that effect because they've got someone feeding them constantly um and i just think that that, that players like Dion will make that difference now and give that almost fearlessness because it it is only their first appearances for the national team and Dion doesn't really speak about nerves and um he has great confidence in the pitch uh, let's just hope that he, he can play with, with someone like Berkvine, um someone like Promes, who doesn't have that fear and can really try and open up Germany and create some chances. Yeah, I think Bergwijn's got to be got to be in the squad. What he's doing at PSV right now means he should be national team level. Um, even ahead of... I would put him, if I was to pick either him or Promes right now, I'd go for Bergwijn. He's in much better form. Interesting. Um James, what do, what do you make of the chances then against Germany? Do you think there's a realistic possibility of beating them? Yes, I do. I think that's primarily because it's not the Germany we know. There's lots of new players coming in to the national team setup. Peterson from Freiburg and um, and a couple of others as well. I think Joachim Lowe is once again giving uh, giving youth a chance. But it, it's not it's not the Germany that that won the World Cup, for example. It's it would give the Netherlands a, a big shot in the arm to win. Uh, going back to Frenkie de Jong, obviously I was at the Peru game where he set up to pie for his um, for his goal, and it was a fantastically weighted pass, and he he hadn't been on the pitch for very long, and um, you know to to have the confidence to play a pass through. And you could tell with his teammates as well, all realizing what a wonderful pass it was to get them to set the goal up to get them back into the game. As Mike said, I think there's togetherness there now and there's um, there's competitive nature. I think also what's very telling is you used to get, when squads were announced in the past, uh, players signing off through injury or illness, you don't really hear about that now because everybody wants to, to join up with a national team squad. Everybody wants to prove their worth and everybody wants to... Uh, wants to uh, to be included in, in the starting lineup. Right then, quick prediction from the three of you. What do you think? Netherlands, Germany. I'm gonna go with um I'm gonna go with one all. James? Two one to the Netherlands. Three 0 hammering to the Netherlands. We're gonna absolutely stuff them. Uh, right, <laughs> on that note, um, one last question about the Dutch national team, and it's from S underscore Van Den, and he says, Davy Klaassen on, is, is on the radar of Koeman now. He's playing re- regularly for Werder Bremen. He certainly doesn't want to see Strootman and Wijnaldum together in the midfield again. Um, Davy Klaassen then, yeah, he's had a good, decent start in the Bundesliga, but is he ready yet for the Dutch national team? I don't think he's ready yet. I think because he suffers for being out for such a long time, and having Sam Allardyce as your manager, who doesn't really 
understand the way he plays, would never give him a chance to prove his worth. And he was sat on the sidelines for a very long time and he wasn't injured. And that would uh, that must uh, drive you a little bit round the bend. Um, I think he's building himself back up again. And I think he will eventually be included in squads. But I think you have to remember with Stoltman and Wijnaldum as well, I think Stoltman's transfer to Marseille will do him the world of good. He said himself he wanted a new challenge and, and for the size of a club that Olympic Marseille are, I mean, they're arguably the biggest team in the whole of France in terms of history and the pedigree. And um, I think that transfer will do him in particular the world of good. I think you'll see him improve. And I think Liverpool as well with Wijnaldum, I think obviously Liverpool had a, made a fantastic start to the Premier League. I think um, I think both of um, both Ronaldo and Stockman will still be included in future squads. I don't think they'll be uh, I don't think they'll be cast aside just yet. But I think if Clarkson continues to play regularly for Werder Bremen, uh, I think he'll be called into future squads. Yes, I agree. He's not ready yet, but I think if he continues to impress in Germany, he'll come back into it. I think Clarkson's always one of these players that I think's done quite well for the Dutch national team. Um, especially when you compare him to someone like Strutman, who's been been awful. And I think if he can get his form back, yeah, why not bring him in? Um, but I'd rather, personally, rather see players like Donny van der Beek get, get a chance or Tony Vilhena. I think these are the, the real future of the national team. Personally, I think David Klaassen's quite a limited player. Um, yeah, he hasn't played terribly for Dutch national team, but I just think the quality is a bit lower. We just expect more from the likes of Strootman and Wijnaldum just because of who they play for. Um, I think Strootman has generally been actually quite awful for Dutch national but whereas on the other hand, I think Wijnaldum has been unlucky. He's not in the system to suit him. Uh, I think if Koeman can get Wijnaldum playing a bit further up towards a striker, then you might see a different Wijnaldum and a more effective Wijnaldum. Uh, but I think on, the, on a final note about Klaassen, I think uh, Javier Dilrosen, I know he plays a di different position. He's a winger. But I think he might be closer to the Dutch national team than Klaassen. Um, what an impact he's had at, at Hertha Berlin, um, signing from Manchester City in the summer, only just now playing sort of professional first-team football in the Bundesliga at such a high level and making a great impact. I agree. It's just it seems that Netherlands seem to go through patches of certain positions, um, and it seems like wingers right now. Netherlands are producing stars after stars. You got you know Memphis Bergwijn. Promise, uh, Berkus, Dilrosan, Danjuma, Grunewald has come into the squad. And then even look at Idrissi for AZ. He's been on fire so far this season. And you've got Calvin Stengs to come back. There's so many wingers and it's hard to leave some of them out sometimes. You've got to wonder where Cummins going to fit them all in. That's right. And, and yet we speak constantly about the lack of a striker and having to play Memphis in that position. And only Luke de Jong and Valt Vekhorst are the strikers we can call upon at the moment. So it's, yeah, it's really frustrating, isn't it? Um, before the Dutch, the Dutch national team finish for another month or so, they also have a friendly against Belgium on the 16th of October. So two good fixtures to watch out for with that. Uh, final topic this week is the Eredivisie. And we had a f uh, four questions in just about the league and... Uh, I think the first one I might put to you guys is about Cloningen. Um, Jordan asks a question about them and says, are they serious relegation contenders? They've had an insipid start to the campaign. For me, they have to be if they're only one point off the bottom. I know they got a, a confidence-boosting draw against 10-man Utrecht uh, today, but 
The way they've started the season under a new coach has not been promising. They've got so many young talents. Um, and a good squad, you think they would have enough, but something seems to be going wrong there. I think a lot of people are asking for a coach to go and then maybe Ron Yans to take over. I know he's just the director of football at the moment, but um, it's hard to see how they're not going to be dragged into something because I think, as we've said before in countless pods, that there's so many poor teams in their division this season that seven or eight of them could get dragged into that relegation battle and Groningen are one of them. Yeah, I think they are a candidate. I think Groningen's start to the season shows what a step up it is from the Dutch second division to managing in the Eredivisie which Danny Bowles has found himself in. It's a huge jump. And I um, I raised the alarm that the, of the six vacancies that were filled really, really quickly in the summer. I think mainly down to financial restrictions and making sure all the budgets are in check. I think that some clubs, when they made their... Um, made their managerial choices, made them a little bit too quick. And I think in the case of Groningen, you could say that that's definitely the case. Uh, obviously, with the uh, what happened in midweek in the Dutch Cup, there are calls for um, the chairman, uh, um, uh, Nylon, to, uh, to resign. And um, yeah, it's a, v- a very unhappy camp. And it'll be interesting to see if they do dispense of the manager's services. Um, who they would turn to but yet when Danny Baus was appointed Alon Jans particularly said we're going to give him time we understand what this is all about we know what we're looking for and I think Groningen uh, took a deliberate decision to hire, to hire Danny Baus and I think they're deliberately going to stick with it but um, should they um, should they continue to struggle I can see them making a change Yeah it's a surprise to see him do so poorly I thought they had some decent um, midfield midfielders and attackers but I think there's been a lack of spending on the defence and the defence midfield is a bit of a hole at the moment a, a void f- filled with young players and it shows in the pitch there's a lack of bite um, and yeah even though they got a draw with Utrecht today it, it, there's still many many problems with them and the cup defeat only made it worse for their season um, let's go from one struggling Dutch side to another uh, Utrecht, a question from Gareth asking um, having seen Utrecht already replace their manager, could they have missed a great opportunity in the summer in not going for Maurice Stein, the VVV Venlo manager um, and James you already spoke about how clubs are quick to fill positions this summer um, would Stein have made a difference at Utrecht or are they now in safer hands with Advocat? We spoke before um, just before I let you answer that question we spoke before about um, Dick Avocat only being a short-term solution for Utrecht and not a long-term one. But are, are they still in safe hands with, uh, with Avocat in charge or, or was Stein a huge miss in the summer? I think Stein was a huge miss. And I'm not just saying that because I interviewed him. It's quite clear that he's waiting for the right club. He's, he's set, stated himself in the past and towards the end of last season that although clubs did come in, he wasn't entirely convinced. And I think if Utrecht had have come in, I think he would have took it. Um, I think um, I think they missed a trick. I don't think it's healthy to uh, to appoint a manager, although he's vastly experienced, just for one season. Because what do you what do you hope to achieve within that year? You know, you've got a, a youth set up which you appears to have to have grind to a halt. You've got uh, aspirations of European football, and um, yeah, I think it's a very strange decision. I think. Um, to deliberately only say we're hiring this manager for one season, and then we're um, and then we're uh, going to look elsewhere. But yet when they uh, 
when they appointed Jump de Jong, they were very much this is for the long term. But I go back to my previous point. I, I really do think that this, the six vacancies we had over the summer. I think if if you're if you're looking from the outside, I think only Vitesse have got it right in terms of who they actually hired. Uh, I think the others, uh, the other managerial um, um, managerial appointments that were made, I, I think they were all made in in, in, uh, in jest. And uh, it just goes to show if you just take your time and just relax and make sure you're getting the right man, um, it can make a huge difference. But I think with with the way the Dutch FA are now on the clubs to supervise their financial activity to make sure that everything is um, is on the is on the money. Excuse the pun. Um, I think clubs that are being led by that. To give you an example. PSV Eindhoven published their books for last season and they made it quite clear that they made a profit for the seventh year in a row. The profit PSV Eindhoven made only equates to £150,000. Doesn't, doesn't equate to a profit of millions, doesn't equate to a profit of, uh, of, uh, of a, an awful lot amount of money, but they were making sure that it was hammered home that a profit was made for the seventh year in a row by, uh, by stating the exact amount. And I just think that, that clubs are now just just a little bit too wary of their financial, uh, not constraints, but their financial um, obligations to the Dutch FA when they really need to start to think that, yes, that is very important, but they've got to make sure they're appointing the right manager as well. That said, um, it's like spent a fair bit of money this summer buying players just Gustafsson. Um, they, they, these, I think it added up for, to about four or five million their transfer spendings. However, they were keen to spend money on a manager such as Dick Avocat, um, even though, yeah, he was free to manage, um, as opposed to going for Mari Stein, who might have been a cheaper wage. Um, it could be that this summer, Stein has yet another good season with Veveve. Uh, they're having a good start already to this one. I have been impressed um, with Veno, not going to lie. Um, and Utrecht could then turn to Stein this summer. Um, who knows? But it would be a good appointment. Um, to answer Gareth's question yeah. and I think that it's not too late and they could still do that in the future um, they've got some good players there and it's a very good club and it's something that could definitely be pushed on with, with the right, right person in charge Yeah, I, f I fully agree I mean, this is a club that has harbours ambitions of playing European football on a regular basis and when they don't play European football it's considered a, uh, it's considered a disappointing season but I think it um, be interesting to see from Stein's point of view as well I, I read uh, an interview uh, back in the last season where he said, you know, this is his fifth year and he wondered how the group and the squad would uh, would um, would react to a fifth year of the same voice in terms of uh, continuing to push forward. But he's also a very smart manager and you also have to remember he's commuting every day from The Hague to Venlo, which is, a, which is not around the corner. And obviously, you know, very committed to family life. You know, his son is also... Um, playing for the youth teams of Ara Den Haag and will and we'll go on to have a, a professional career, I'm certain of that. But I think he's, he's weighing up all options and I think um, the convenience and the location of Utrecht coupled with the ambition would be something that may well uh, turn his head to, for him to leave Venlo after five years. Okay. Uh, our next question on Twitter comes from Cam. Um, hello, Cam. Do the stars of Ajax make Ten Haag look good? The loss to PSV and tie at the start of the season against Heracles, I feel, outweigh the recent Champions League success. Do you feel he can still get Ajax to the title this year? Well, for me, I've, before the season started, I said PSV are going to win the title. Um, it's not really changed for me. Um, 
I think some of the games have shown Ten Hag's tactical um, weaknesses, especially the PSV one, where he just seemed to think that oh, Frankie de Jong and Daily Blind have been all right in defence in some of the games, and they'll do all right in this one, when it was clear from the offset that putting them two together against Luke de Jong was going to be a huge mistake, and that's how it proved. Um, he got away with it against AK Athens, basically because AK Athens didn't turn up to attack. They turned up to defend and Ajax were able to to you know like deal with their counterattacks. Whereas if a team goes at them and goes at them too, then you, you can probably beat them. And without Matthias Delic to, you know, when he's not on the Ajax side, it shows that he is probably their, their best player because they just look lost without him. Um, even things like picking Lasse Shona, over Donny van der Beek. Whenever Donny van der Beek comes on or comes into the side, they just look so much better. But Ten Hag seems to be stubborn to stick with his choices instead of going with what's maybe best for the team. Um, and we'll see how it goes for the rest of the season. But I've not really been impressed with him so far this campaign. Um, I kind of agree that some of his players have gone out of it. Yeah, I, I agree. The individual quality of his attacking players has certainly helped Ten Hag look a lot better than he really is. Um, in answer to Cam's question, that that certainly is the case. And as you said, Mike, um, the tactical awareness of Ten Hag isn't as good as I thought it was from his time at Utrecht, where he was very good and his formation really helped the team kick on. When when Ten Hag first came in and started playing three at the back, it did not work. And he finally went back to four at the back and, hey, presto, look, some better results. And... um, yeah, he's very, very stubborn and likes to stick with what, what he's got. And then all of a sudden, he'll eventually give it up. And he looks he looks like a fool to the media when he wins with a team that, that everyone can see would work. And playing Frank de Jong at centre-back, I'm not sure he'll ever do that again after that performance against PSV. Um, yeah, great on the ball, but if anyone puts anything near him in the air, he, he's, it's, not, it's, not his, um, it's not his strength at all as a player. That that second goal, the ball came straight past his head and he tried to head it and completely missed it. That's not the kind of player he is. He's not a centre-back. Um, and yeah, no, I think in future you won't see much of that. And if, if, if you do, it'll be in a easier home match where De Jong isn't expected to defend as much. And if it is, it'll be simple on the counter-attack with a through ball, say. And he's good at that. But yeah, I think De Ligt and Blint are a good partnership at centre-back. Um, but to flip it on its head, Mike, um, who else would you play next to uh, Daley Blint in that fixture against PSV with De Ligt out injured? Frank De Jong is still the better player, but not maybe not a centre-back. And Persius is only 18. Is he the right person you just throw into that team, having not played with these players apart from in training? Um, and just to throw into a match like that, who would you play next to Blint? Well, I think... When you've got somebody like Luke de Jong, you took somebody that's that's going to head the ball um, a bit better than, than Frank de Jong. You know you can expect crosses to come in when you're playing with somebody like that. And if it's Per Skurs for his debut or it was Max Vauber, um, who hasn't really impressed since he got his big money move from, from Austria, but you know, you know, Ten Hag was asked about it after the game, well, why did you not put you know, Vauber next to... Uh, David Blind and he's just like well we lost to PSV last year that's not exactly going to do his confidence um, any good whereas even Rasmus Christensen's a big a big tall unit um, you know you need to put strength against strength whereas he just thought 
or Frankie De Jong's good on the ball, he's, he's done well against the AK he'll, he'll handle it. Um, you need to be a bit more smarter than that, I think. Um, I think they've bought Skurs from Fortuna Sittard. He's, he was great last year. I don't know why. If you're going to pay that money for him, why not trust him in a, a game like this? You know, it might have um, given him the confidence and then he might have, might have starred. You just don't know. Um, instead of going for something that I think if you showed it to most people, it would have went, that's a mistake before the game kicked off. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem. He doesn't have that trust in the players that don't play every week. Does he trust Van der Beek against the bigger teams? Um, and that's where it all comes in again about Ten Hag and how he deals with his players. And that's where the doubts start to come in. Uh, our final question this week um, is again from Jordan and it's about PSV. Uh, he would like to talk about the great form of Gaston Pereiro. How influential has he been uh, under Van Bommel so far? I think it's been fantastic. Yeah, well, his stats are six goals and three assists so far. Um, you know, last season he was out outside under Philip Cocu, and I think if Philip Cocu had stayed, he would have left. Um, Van Bommel, who had him for a time at young PSV, convinced him to stay, I think, in the summer. There was some articles coming out saying that Van Bommel put his arm around him and was like, look, you're going to be a big big part of my side, he's come in, he's, he's went to the number 10 position, he's stayed there, he's not gone out to the wings and uh, he's been excellent. I think he's he's been he's been great so far and long may it continue because I think he's one of our key players going forward because you've got Rosario and you've got Hendricks behind him, more defensively minded, I think that gives Pereiro some more space to do his magic and it's worked so far. Yeah, I think he's had a tremendous start to the season. I think it just goes to show what, what confidence can do. And I think uh, Van Bommel has just politely said, you know, about his qualities and, and giving him a shot in the arm. And I think you're seeing him play with, with freedom. I think he's very happy uh, at PSV as well. I think he wants to show, he wants to show his worth. And it just goes to show that with a simple tweak here and there and a kind word of encouragement, what it can do for a player, and especially with Casey Pereira scoring goals and, and making assists. If I can just go back on the Den Haag uh, point that was made previously, I concur with what uh, Micah said. I think he made some very good points. But I would like to add that Den Haag also knows that he's under pressure to deliver a trophy this season. I think if, if Ajax end up trophyless, uh, whether they end up playing wonderful football or, uh, or they may end up making a good impression, it's um, four years without a league title. It's, um, there's, the pressure is on. So I think with Ten Hag, although he can be quite obstinate, I think he knows himself that he's got to deliver a trophy this year, or otherwise he uh, he may well uh, may well be relieved of his duties. Yeah, the pressure's on Ten Hag, and so far so good for PSV. It's um, been a, a whirlwind start for them, and they've been they've been awesome. A lot of goals coming from them, and Gaston Pereira is a big part of that. And uh, the last part of what Jordan's question was is, will De Jong reach 20 goals this season? And, and certainly, in playing in that team easily, just in the league alone, possibly. Um, even and De Jong's not even taking penalties. That's down to Pereiro. And it's good that he's a reliable penalty taker for that team. James, Mike, thanks for joining me this week. Thank you. Good morning, Thank welcome. You. A very good podcast once again. And talk to you both very soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's always great fun as, as usual. And come on in, everyone, to beat those Germans. <laughs>